Thanks, Brigitte. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words that were written down by Luke for us um, to help us grow in our relationship with you. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would use my words to speak to all of our hearts today to draw us closer to you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be accepting in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. You see, I love trees. Uh, now, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a tree hugger, but I do enjoy looking at their towering majesty. I also come from a place called Ann Arbor, Michigan, which literally means tree town. But most importantly, the reason why I love trees is that the Bible is loaded with tree imagery. So growing up, we had close to 10 gigantic ash trees in our backyard. I loved looking at them, and they made great obstacles and playthings in our backyard. But as time went on, some stuff started to happen to the trees. We noticed a lot of bark falling off, and they began to produce thinning foliage. So my dad did some research and discovered the problem. It was a bug called the emerald ash borer, and apparently it feeds on ash trees. The female can lay between 40 and 70 eggs on the bark of trees. The larvae then burrow into the tree and feed on it for one to two years as they mature. Then, if they can fly, they leave to find another tree, and the process repeats. It's an invasive species that is native to Northeast Asia. In its native environment, it isn't destructive, but outside of its natural environment, it is highly destructive. So much so that local governments in the U.S. are attempting to control it. And in 2016, it was made known that the ash tree is in danger of extinction in Europe. So, what did my dad have to do? He had to call a tree company in to have them do their thing. They would tie someone up near the top of the trees and this person would swing from tree to tree and branch to branch and lop off bits with a chainsaw. And you would hear loud thuds at different intervals as these giant logs plummeted to the earth. They felled about five or six trees in about a day or two and stripped my dad of a substantial amount of money in the process. You see, these trees typically live for around 200 years, but can live for any, up to 350. They can also grow as tall as 40 meters. It's about the length of two tennis courts. A tree this majestic can have its life cut short because of a beetle about a centimeter in length. You see, we all have a beetle, and this beetle is sin. Sin corrupts our hearts. It destroys us from the inside out. It keeps us as slaves without any opportunity of hope. It leaves us barren and frail without any opportunity for freedom. Repentance and belief in Jesus is the only way to eradicate this. And we'll see in this passage how repentance and bearing fruit give us hope. But ultimately, it is this repentance and fruit-bearing that give us true freedom. Tim, if you're back there, would you mind advancing the slides for me? 
So point number one, no repentance, no hope. No repentance, no hope. Verses one to five. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that all these Galileans were worse sinners than all the others because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, this is still the same crowd that's been following Jesus since the beginning of chapter 12. And Jesus uses the hot events of the day to connect his teaching to what he's been saying. Now, these two events would be the equivalent of breaking news in Jesus' day. One is an act of human evil, and the other is what we would call natural evil. And apparently, the first headline was about some Galileans who had been killed by Pilate. Who would have thought a Roman emperor or governor was capable of such a thing? The second headline is something similar. This was about a tower in Siloam. Apparently, it had fallen and killed 18 people. But when Jesus addresses both of these incidences, he seems to be aware of an underlying belief amongst the crowd and even his disciples, and he exposes it. Notice what he does. He compares the sins of the dead Galileans to the rest of the Galileans that are alive. He compares the guilt of the 18 who died with the guilt of all of the others living in Jerusalem. You see, people assumed that there was a direct correlation between someone's sin and their suffering. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Basically, people thought that the greater someone sinned, the more they would suffer. The less someone sinned, the less they would suffer. And Jesus says, no. Every single one of them is a sinner of the same standing. Every single one of them has the same level of guilt. Those left alive are just as guilty and sinful as those who died. You can imagine someone in the crowd thinking or saying, Jesus, where is your compassion? Keep that in mind because we'll, we will return to that. And what might Jesus say if he were here with us today? Jesus, did you hear about those who died and are missing in the Libyan floods? Jesus, did you hear about the deaths in the Afghanistanian earthquakes? Jesus, what about all the civilians dead in Ukraine? What about the civilians in the Israeli-Hamas conflict? Jesus, what about knife crime in London? You see, Jesus redirects the issue to sin. Sin is the problem. In Paul's letters, he describes sin as this power that is actively opposed to the will of God. Sin corrupts. It maligns everything. Sin makes us sin. It corrupts creation. It corrupts every human being. It's strong. It's attractive. It keeps us under the control of its power. It breeds hatred from the depths of our hearts. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with creation. And it destroys our relationship with others. And the only way for us to be given the hope of eternal life, 
The only way to be cleansed and forgiven of our sin is the answer that Jesus gives to his own question. Repent, or you will suffer too. Repent and turn to the Lord. Repent of your sin and seek the forgiveness of God in the person of Jesus. Repent and receive the hope of eternal life. Repent and be released from sin, shame, guilt. Repent and seek the love of God in the person of Jesus. Repent and seek his compassion. Seek his mercy. Repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for sinning. Jesus, I need you to change me from within my heart. Repent of your sin and ask God to send his Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart, to give life to your dry bones. Repent so that you can receive the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, who loves you and died for you and rose from the dead for you so that you may have eternal life, so that you can have a living relationship with the Lord of the universe. Without repentance, all is lost. No repentance, no hope. And secondly, no fruit, no hope. No fruit, no hope. Look with me at verses 6 to 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll, I'll dig around it and, and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. It sounds like this man had a fig tree that was not doing what it was supposed to do. Jesus doesn't tell us if it bears fruit, nor does he tell us what happens to the tree. We might ask, well, why is Jesus doing this? See, the story leaves open the possibility of fruitfulness. I think Jesus is doing two things here. He's illustrating the urgency of repentance, but also the patience of God. You see, Jesus is drawing a straight line between repentance and bearing fruit. The repentant heart bears fruit for Jesus. The unrepentant heart does not bear fruit for Jesus. The repentant person lives to see the hope they are promised. The unrepentant person is not granted that opportunity. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but the Lord is gracious and patient with us. He has delayed the day of his coming so that many can repent and avoid the final terror of hell. He knows how stubborn our hearts are too. And he knows how long it takes for a tree to mature and bear fruit. There could be many things wrong with the tree. The soil could be bad. Maybe that's why he's fertilizing it. Maybe the tree isn't getting enough water or sun. Maybe there's a bug that is killing the tree. Either way, the Lord is patient and wants you to turn to him. Repentance is both a fruit-bearing exercise, but it's also a fruit-producing exercise. We as humans were made to bear fruit for God. Human beings were made to bear fruit for Jesus. We are made in the image of God, after all. But sin corrupts. Sin corrupted the land so it couldn't bear fruit. Sin corrupts our hearts so that we cannot bear fruit for Jesus. 
Repentance is the only way to bear fruit. But this won't happen overnight, and God knows that. Sin keeps us from seeing the hope of eternal life in Jesus. Sin blinds us to this hope. It prevents us from knowing His love and compassion. But repentance cures us. Repentance means to change one's mind. It's a turning away from the way that we used to live. It is turning to Jesus in active obedience. It is looking at our past in abhorrence and disgust, saying no to our past sins. It's a turning away from what was to following Jesus and trusting in his forgiveness and goodness. But this is gradual. It takes time, and God knows that. But if this is not the case, there is no hope. If you're here today and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to repent. The way of the Christian is radical repentance and radical dependence on Jesus. The practice of the Christian daily is to put to death our sin through repentance and belief. Jesus cannot effectively work in and through us if we do not repent. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, can I encourage you to do so? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. True hope and true fulfillment are only found in Jesus. There's no greater joy in the world than knowing and loving Jesus. And nobody else in existence, nobody loves you more than Jesus. But you can only know this love and hope if you repent and seek him. So no fruit, no hope. Thirdly, no fruit, no freedom. No fruit, no freedom. Verses 10 to 17 On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Jesus loved doing things on the Sabbath, particularly in the synagogues. It was his custom after all. The synagogue on the Sabbath was the heart of Judaism in its strongest form. It was a day to rest in God and rejoice in him for his goodness and faithfulness. Now, on this particular day, we are introduced to a woman in a sad situation. I imagine we've all seen something similar. Walking down the street, you pass someone who's crippled. On instinct, your heart just, your heart goes out to them. You lament the fact that this this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Notice too, Jesus, Jesus doesn't ask anything of the woman, nor is anything said of her faith. So what do we see? Compassion. Here is the compassion of Jesus. His heart went out to the woman and he healed her. He says, woman, you are set free. And what is her reaction? She praises the Lord. Finally. 
But the synagogue leader wasn't having it. He could not praise God, even though he just saw this woman freed from her suffering right in front of her eyes. He just saw God's power overcome Satan right before his eyes, and he couldn't acknowledge it. Verse 14, indignant because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on, the sa- come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. What a hard heart. What does not bearing fruit look like? Luke is showing us right here. The synagogue leader and all of Jesus' opponents, for that matter, do not bear fruit. They are unrepentant to their core. They have no compassion. Back in Luke 11, Jesus says, Woe to you, experts in the law. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Makes you wonder if the synagogue leader did anything to care for this woman. Did he do anything to help her? Did he do anything to comfort her and to ease the weight of her suffering? I think it's safe to say he didn't. In Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7, we see God sing a song about a vineyard. God planted this vineyard on good soil with everything that it needed to thrive. But when he looked for good grapes, all he saw was bad fruit. Then God asks, what more could I have done? Why do you yield bad fruit? So here's what he decides. God's going to take away the hedge and he's going to destroy it. He's going to remove the wall around the vineyard and trample on it. He will make it a wasteland. He won't command the rain to rain on it. Isaiah 5 verse 7 says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Israel is the unfruitful vine. The religious leaders do not bear fruit. God has given them everything they need to to thrive, and yet they do no justice and continually lay burdens upon people. And their unrepentant heart refuses, blinds them, to God's kingdom in front of their eyes. Now Jesus is furious. Verse 15, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? This should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Hypocrites indeed, Jesus is very clear. The law permitted the religious leaders to unbind their animals so they could have some water. Should not the same be done for this woman? This woman is no animal. She is the daughter of Abraham. She's a woman made in the image of God. Instead of being bound for a few hours, she's been bound for 18 long years. Should she not be released from Satan's bondage? What does Jesus do for the woman? He offers her hope. He offers her freedom. In Luke 4, we see what Jesus is called to do. Luke 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is doing exactly what he has been anointed to do. He offers freedom to those who are prisoners of Satan. He's come to help people see. He has come to set those who are oppressed by sin and Satan. He's come to set them free. He has come to offer true freedom and true deliverance. He's come to offer the way of proper fruit bearing. But again, like everything that Jesus does, he divides the room. Verse 17, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people delighted. They were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Last week, we saw that Jesus has come to bring division. This event, in some way, dramatizes Luke 12, verses 49 to 53. He brought peace and joy to the woman, but divided the room as a result. He shattered the false hope and exposed the fruitlessness of the religious leaders. This is the effect of Jesus. This is the sign of God's inbreaking reign over the forces of Satan. Jesus has come to offer people true living freedom. But this hope is only found in repentance. This repentance leads to a fruit-bearing life that radically expresses the freedom of Jesus. Since they are unrepentant, the religious leaders cannot experience that same ecstatic freedom that the woman experiences. So no fruit, no freedom. Lastly, be patient and wait for fruit. Be patient and wait for fruit. Verses 18 to 21. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. We now stumble upon two famous parables. Now, they seem oddly placed, but Luke is trying to tell us something by placing them here. Oftentimes, we see them applied to a more corporate meaning of the kingdom of God, but here I think they apply to the individual. You see, the man and the woman, they do small things that have rippling and expansive consequences. This is the way to the kingdom of God. This is the way to bear fruit for Jesus. It's taking small steps towards Jesus that will produce immeasurable fruit in the years to come. Luke has just finished showing us God's power over Satan. Satan's destructive power is gone. Sin is no longer your master. Therefore, do not be discouraged over what seems to be a lack of success 
or a lack of fruit bearing. You cannot grow a tree overnight. God knows that this takes time. A small step today will lead to mature fruit bearing in years to come. It takes years of God's grace to bear abundant fruit in our lives. I know for a fact that when I was fundraising for a year and a half to get here, I was unrepentant, living in sin, wanting to do things my own way. But God in His grace sustained me. He brought me here. And He told me, Connor, this needs to go. That needs to go. You're really unrepentant here. You need to start repenting. Seek me in prayer. Seek me in your word. Do the things that will bear fruit in your life. And there may be seasons where you're just not bearing fruit. And that's okay. It takes time for trees to mature and bear the fruit. Bear the good fruit. And bear it abundantly. Don't be afraid. God is at work. Think of the mustard seed and the yeast and be hopeful. Repentance is it's one act, but it's an important thing to do. Repentance will bear fruit and this fruit will express itself in small or large acts that will affect lives far beyond this time and place. And God will use that to advance his kingdom. And you will bear witness to the hope and freedom of Jesus when you bear fruit. So let's recall the imagery of the ash tree and, and the ash borer. This small bug can fit onto the size of an American penny. Just as this small bug kills gigantic trees, sin can kill you too. Sin is waiting to control you. It's waiting to burrow into your heart. Even if you think it's something small, it can burrow into your heart and destroy you from the inside and ruin your relationship with your Creator. It will cripple you and cause you to perish. It prevents you from bearing fruit, but you can resist by the power of God and His Holy Spirit. You can say no to sin. Repent and say, I trust in Jesus. Turn and follow the Lord and receive eternal life in Jesus and bear fruit for Him. No repentance, no hope, no fruit, no hope, no fruit, no freedom. But be patient and wait for the fruit. You are on a journey with the Lord. And if you are sincere in taking those small steps and seeking Him in your daily life, He will prune you and He will see you through to the end. Why don't we have a minute or two of quiet to reflect on that?
Father, we recognize that we, we are sinful before your eyes. Father, we do not love you with our whole hearts. We do not love you with our whole mind, and we do not love you with our actions. Father, we are unworthy to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. But Father, help us by the power of your Spirit to see the need for daily repentance in our lives, to see the need to say no to our sin and to trust in the power of Jesus. Father, help us as we go away to bear fruit and to live for you and to bear witness to the true freedom of Jesus in our lives. And give us patience, Father. Give us patience, Lord, and prune us into what you want us to be. Pray this all in your son's holy name. Amen.